Um, listen, just before we dismiss kids, um, I need someone. I'm going to pick Everly. Everly, come here. This is not staged, even though she's my daughter. Give it up for Everly. Stand up here. Everly might win the prize for the most creative uh, name tag. That's very, that's very amazing, sweetie. Can you do me a favor? Can you reach down and lift up that weight right there? Nice. Now, using two hands, can you put it up over your head? Give it up for Everly! Whoa! Whoa! Almost went all the way back. Okay, put it back down. Now, show that you can do it. Uh, can you do it left-handed also? Do it with that hand. Let's see if you can just, just lift straight up. That's it. Give it up for Everly. All right, put it back down. That's all I need you to do. That was pretty easy, huh? All right, give it up for Everly one more time. Kids, you guys are dismissed off to class. You're going to lock that picture in your mind for a moment, and we'll come back to that. First Peter uh, chapter 1 is where we're going to start. So opening your Bibles to First Peter chapter 1, uh, we're going to get there shortly. If you're new with us or old with us, um, there's a card that lives online digitally with a QR code. You could scan your phone right now and see it. Um, there's also physical cards that sit in our chairs. Um, a way of to just say hello and just say, hey, I'd like to be known by this church family. Um, and so you can put an email or a mobile number, whatever is the best way to reach you for that. And um, living in those cards also is um, always just opportunity for prayer requests that you can write down. Um, and then put me in coach is just a way of saying to the church, hey, I have um, desire and gifts and abilities that I want to contribute and offer to this church family. I see needs in the neighborhood, uh, and I'd love to, to make myself available. I want you to imagine for a moment, if you can, what 1,362 square miles looks like, okay? That's a really huge number, isn't it? Uh, 1,362 square miles is the size of Tahoe National Forest, okay? So imagine a forest that is that gargantuan, and now imagine that you're trapped by deep snow, and you have this choice sitting in front of you. Should you wait, trapped by deep snow, in 1,362 square miles of rugged forest, hoping that someone will find you before you starve to death or freeze to death? That's choice one. Or should you go? Not stick around, but go, convinced that no one's coming for you and you are on your own, meaning you'll be leaning on your own strength, your own ingenuity, your own GPS to get yourself out of the jam. Now, what I'm describing, of course, is an actual scene that faced the Donner Party. Up near Tahoe, this happened in 1846. There was deep snow, and this is exactly what they faced, this choice but it's actually a scene that rings really true for the rest of us that's because of this life is really confusing and life is as vast as the tahoe national forest in terms of trying to memorize principles and think of what you need to know and all of that we are faced with a really similar kind of choice even if not the actual choice that the donner party faced life is treacherous and we need answers are we supposed to trust that help is coming and therefore just stay put and keep hope alive? Or right now, wherever you are, are you supposed to be all alone and simply take matters into your own hands, navigating yourself to help because no help is coming for you? The good news that God provides is there's actually a third option. My family and I were up in Tahoe National Forest this week, if you can't tell. And uh, as I pondered the heroics and the treachery that went on with the, with the Donner Party, I thought, man, this is just like life. In life, there are great heroics when hard things happen, and there's great tragedy and great treachery that goes on when hard things happen. And as I was up there sort of thinking about these, I was thinking about this in terms of the gospel. And I thought about this, I thought... The gospel says that rescue comes to us. So on the one hand, God is the one who does come to us in Jesus Christ. We are rescued through no help of our own. But it's not just that we stay put and we wait for rescue to come and get us out of our jam. In fact, God comes to our rescue, but then he calls us 
on and upward, doesn't he? He moves us away from sort of this snowy prison called a cabin, which is where the Donner Party was stuck, right near Donner Lake. And he says, I'm not just going to leave you there. I don't just come to your rescue and have you have some food and some warmth and all of that and keep you alive. God actually comes to our rescue and then leads us on and out of the snow. What happens with that is the provision and the power is actually God himself. So the Bible describes the Holy Spirit that comes and dwells in us and is with us at all times. So when we sing or see in Scripture that God is with you all of the time, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to start a series this morning um, that I'm simply calling On to Health. And it's a series that looks at this inner life that God offers to us. It's an inner life of thriving that he promises, that he offers to us. And I hope to provide help and hope for the journey. And I want to do that by simply showing you some things that are really accessible. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you already know this. Much of this will be review. Uh, But some of it may spur you on to things you used to do or you used to know. And you'll see it afresh and, and say, I need to get back to that. For some of you, this will be very much for the first time. It's hard to read on here, but hopefully you can see it in your bulletin or your handout a little bit better. Uh, But in this image is this passage from Romans 8, 14. In that middle picture, it says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. All who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Isn't it true that leaders require followers? John Maxwell, sort of this leadership guru, wrote a bunch of books on it and stuff. He's famous for saying this, he who thinks he leads but has no followers is only taking a walk, right? Like there's some people who think they're the leader and like, yeah, you're not the leader, actually. There's no followers. Well, here's the interesting thing. Jesus had a really simple invitation, didn't he? Follow me, he said. And that invitation still goes out and we have a choice to choose to follow or not to follow. Romans 8 says, all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. You want to know if you're an actual child of God? Here's the question. Are you following? Did you get up and follow Jesus or not? There's a really beautiful picture in Matthew that I came across this week. I was doing a word search and kind of found something different. But this is one single verse. This might be my new life verse. Matthew 21, 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Isn't that a sweet verse? I mean, it's interesting because... I'm always up here telling you, and I will tell you again this morning, that context is king. Don't take God out of context. You don't like being quoted out of context. Uh, It's actually illegal to do that in print. It's called libel. Uh, So don't take God out of context. But in a way, it almost doesn't even matter the context of this. This is so applicable to a wide range of things. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. That's what discipleship is. You actually hear and then do what Jesus says to do. So, conversely, look at 1 John 1, 6. It says this, If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So again, children of God are those who actually follow. As we talk about the inner life, people have looked to Jesus Christ through the centuries as a model for what can go on in the inner life. But if people want the life of Jesus, they need to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So it's not just looking at him and admiring him from afar. Jesus says, follow me. We're going to talk about prayer next week. Prayer is just a fundamental part of our health right? And when the disciples come and say, would you teach us to pray? Think about this. They already knew how to pray. These were good Jewish boys who had been steeped in prayer for a long, long, long time. But they saw something in Jesus praying, didn't they? They said, I don't think we know how to pray. Teach us to pray. What Jesus did is instead of explaining it, he demonstrated it. So when you pray, pray this way. And you might know it as the Our Father prayer, the Lord's prayer. Right? And he teaches them to pray by doing it. So this leadership, this followership we have is shown to us by Jesus and we're invited to get in on it. Think about this on to health 
uh, idea for a moment. God's Spirit is leading us somewhere. Those who are children of God are following, uh, are, are, are following Jesus. It's evident by that. They're being led by the Spirit. So where is the Spirit leading us? The Spirit is leading us on to health. That's where the Spirit is leading us. It's a journey which requires a guide. Where God is leading is not where you would necessarily choose to go. So here's the interesting thing. We're going to sort of tie into physical health because we can see the outside. We can think about that in some really concrete, measurable terms. One of the challenges of nurturing and developing and tending to and even evaluating your inner life is it's hard to measure, isn't it? We're talking about diet today and sort of thinking about what do we consume. Well, when you're consuming physical food, it's easier to measure that and sort of see that and touch that and understand that. What about your inner life? What are you feeding on? What's your diet like? That's a little bit more nebulous. It's harder. But where God is leading you is not necessarily where you would choose to go. It may include this path to health that the Spirit will lead you on may feel like going over Donner Summit in a record snowfall, where you're like, I don't want to go up there. That doesn't sound comfortable to me. That sounds really, really challenging and hard. It is, and the Spirit leads us into and through hard things. The goal that God has for us, according to Scripture, is nothing less than total transformation. That's the end goal of what the Spirit of God is leading us to. So what does health look like? What does wholeness look like? It looks like total transformation. Here's the great news, that God is at work for us and in us. I want you to look at this top image. And as we go through this the next few weeks, I want you to look at that little uh, kettlebell. And I want you to think of Everly lifting up this weight, okay? Um, Don't raise your hand because I don't want to shame or embarrass anyone. But is there anyone who thinks they can't lift what is on the stage? Don't raise your hand. Just think about it. I think most all of you said, I think I got that. I think I could do that. I might even, like Everly, be able to lift it with my opposite hand and be okay. Here's the really good news. Here's the hope I want to extend to you. I'm going to be talking about reading, memorizing, studying, internalizing the Bible today. And I think sometimes when we hear that, we immediately feel like, and instead of envisioning this, we envision something that only a few of us in this room could lift. And we think, I can't do it. I've heard this before. It feels like a guilt, shame, weighty thing on my shoulders. What I hope to do is show you this journey onto health may require you going over Donner Summit in the snow. But you'll get there one step at a time. This little middle picture of just feet walking, that's the picture of all of this. The Spirit will lead you one step at a time. And here's the great news. God's the one doing the heavy lifting. You know what you don't have to do when it comes to Scripture? You don't have to come up with the content. God's already gifted that to you. You know what? My job as a preacher, it's pretty easy in the sense that I have an an incredibly rich resource to preach from. I don't have to come up with new content. I don't even have to try to make it relevant. It is relevant. I used to trust that more by faith. Now by experience, I just know it's relevant. So preach the word, preacher, in season and out of season. Church, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Give attention to the word. That's what we hope to do in our life, but also here on our Sundays. Let me see if you fit in one of these categories. Okay? I want you to think about your inner life for a second. And I want you to think about this idea of onto health. It says that no matter where you are on the journey, um, that today you can move onto health. And the way you get there will not be by following my advice. It won't be by looking to your neighbor. It won't be by going to your favorite podcast or blog or some other thing that you're going to see. The way you get there is you're led by the Spirit. The Spirit will lead you on to health. So how about this? Some of you might think, Dave, I think my inner life is exceedingly healthy. In fact, I may have never been more healthy than I am right now in all of my life. Here's my word for you. I say great. I mean, celebrate what God's done. Because you've probably been over a few Donner summits yourself, if you can say that. And I would say great. Now, 
on to health. As someone who might be exceedingly healthy, and you just say, man, the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm like a tree planted by streams of water. Like, I'm just, I'm exceedingly healthy right now. I say, great, on to health. Why? Because it's a journey that doesn't end for the living. Once you die, it ends. But while you're still alive, there's opportunity to grow on to health. In fact, here's the tricky thing. Once any of us think that we've arrived, for sure we haven't. The moment you think, I'm here, I've arrived, I'm at health. The moment you think that is the moment you say, oh, I've got concrete proof that I'm not exceedingly healthy. Because it's not something that we arrive at at perfection in this life. How about if you think you're exceedingly unhealthy? Here's my word to you. Great. On to health. You know where Jesus always starts? He starts with where you are. There's really no other place to start. You can't start anywhere but where you are right now. We have a favorite saying around here. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are means don't wait to clean up before you come to church. For Pete's sake, no one would ever get to church. Come exactly as you are. God's drawn you here this moment in this chair today to lead you somewhere. Don't stay that way means we could come with all of our filth, with all of our questions, with all of our past, with all of our present, and say, God, I'm here to lay this at your feet, and Jesus is great. Let me take the burden from you. I'll do the heavy lifting. Come with me. Follow me. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Maybe for most of us in this room, we'd say we're somewhere in between. Maybe you're not at peak inner life health and you just go, I'm exceedingly healthy. Maybe you're not saying I'm exceedingly unhealthy. Maybe you're somewhere in between. Here's my message to you. Great. Let's all go on to health. Let me tell you where I'm on my way. I'm on my way to health because that's where the spirit of God is leading me. So let's just walk together in this. Let's go on this journey together and keep walking towards health. Regularly around here, Neighborhood Bible Church seems like once in a while the preacher, the church, the leadership should encourage their people to esteem the Word of God in their everyday life. So periodically, we just have a tradition around here of preaching a series, a sermon. Sometimes it's at the start of the year, just like a call to give ourselves to Scripture once again. And every time as a preacher that I instruct people to read their Bible, to pray or attend church or join a community group, I run the risk of being deeply misunderstood. I know that people hear me in ways that I don't intend. So by saying read the Bible or pray or go to church or join a community group, I'm not saying do these things so that you'll get in good with God. I better pray more or read the Bible more or attend church because I think that's the way that I get in good with God. Get on God's good side. That's not what I'm saying. That's not the path to getting on God's good side. I'm also not saying do these things so you can grow, learn, be comforted, or get equipped. Now let me tell you that prayer, Bible reading, faithfully attending church, and being a part of a small group for most of my life since I was 17 years old has caused me to grow, to learn, to be comforted, and to be equipped. But I'm not saying do these things primarily to accomplish those end tasks. Probably those things will occur in your life too. So what am I saying? If I'm not saying those things, what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that Bible reading, prayer, things like church attendance and being a part of a smaller group are far more urgent and vital to those other ideas. I say read your Bible and pray, catch this, so that you can stay alive. That's how urgent it is. A doctor might tell you to do things like breathing and eating. How's your diet? How's your, let me, let me just listen to you for a second. Here, let me put this, take a deep breath. Okay, do it again. And the cold thing goes around your body while the person's listening to your breathing. A doctor may say uh, that you should be eating healthy and listening to your breathing. Not because you don't know that you need to do these things, 
but because your health shows that you're neglecting the fundamentals. So what happens is when we come into the doctor um, or we neglect these things, it shows. And the doctor is saying, do these things, these simple fundamentals, basics of health, and everything else will improve. We go to the doctor, we have all these different symptoms, but they point back to some really basic fundamentals. Neglect these things, and all the work on other areas is for naught. One of the great joys of my life is getting to be with my wife when she was giving birth to our children. Now, while my wife is giving birth to a child, I might be telling my wife to breathe, right? And it's not because my wife doesn't know she needs to breathe. She knows that. But she's under such extreme pressure that she needs an outside source saying, breathe. (laughs) Remember our breathing. So we breathe together, right? Sometimes we just need someone around us in our ear telling us to breathe. Not that we don't know how to breathe. Not that we don't know that we need to breathe. It's just that we're going through some really intense things. We just need to be told just to breathe. Often parents must tell a red-eyed, miserable child that they really need to eat this sandwich. And the parent just has to shove it in and say, Chew! Why? Because the hangriness has taken over this child and they don't understand what they need most right now is food. Any of you have children like that? I do. Any of you, that child? Are you that person still? Like you're still that person? Sometimes my wife just goes, can I make you something to eat? Because we're like having this argument. She's like, you are not yourself. You, we're, we're not going to get anywhere. Let me just make you something to eat. And then I do it and then apologies usually follow, right? Sometimes we just need, and I, I know I need to eat. Kids know they need to eat. But sometimes things can just take over us and we can't think straight. So I want each of you to read the best author this world has ever known every day so that you can live, so that you can stay alive. As we look this morning, we're going to look uh, primarily just at, at the Bible, at our diet. So inner life requires a healthy diet, just like our physical life does. Let me show you a couple of verses. Jeremiah 15, 16 is really interesting. He says, your words were food and I ate them. Interesting story. A king in Ethiopia took this literally. He actually ate the Bible. Kind of crazy. Um, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Jesus, after fasting 40 days alone in the wilderness, has this really epic battle with Satan. And Satan comes and tempts him in some different ways. Interestingly, his retort to Satan is always just Scripture. He just quotes Scripture back to Satan. In Matthew 4.4, it says, But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So our eating is important, but it's not bread alone that we do, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, 1 Peter 2 is where I have you. I think I said 1 Peter 1, sorry. 1 Peter 2 is where I have you. Look in your Bible at 1 Peter 2, 2 to 3. He says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I've shown you just a few snippets, but in each of these, the discovery that the Lord is good, the discovery that the Bible is a delight and a joy, not a chore and drudgery like many people view Bible reading, comes from personal experience. It comes from personal discovery. Isn't it true that I could read all the specials memorize the menu of a restaurant, and personally know every single person on staff. But until I have tasted the food at that restaurant, it's all hearsay. It's all rumor as to whether it's a good restaurant or a bad restaurant. As I leave the restaurant, I would have no help with calorie intake to keep me going strong for the rest of my day. Even though I'm a 
hype man for the restaurant, say how good it is and how wonderful it is and quote all the specials, all the healthy ingredients. I also would have no real conviction when asked if the food was good. People would say, is it good? I'd say, yeah, absolutely, it's amazing. I could quote other people about it. I could sort of mimic other people's excitement, but I wouldn't really know for sure. And in fact, I think that my yes could easily be swayed to a maybe or a no because I haven't really personally tasted of it. Now, take that idea and think about this. I think this is the experience of many people who go by Jesus' name. They call themselves a Christian. But in terms of like really tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, there hasn't been or hasn't been in a long time a personal experience. One whole series we did centered on this idea. That if you give yourself to the word of God, that you will get God from his word. Think about this. Give yourself to the word of God, and in exchange, get God in return. There's a certain giving of ourselves to Bible intake, to the diet of reading the Bible, internalizing the Bible, digesting the Bible, gaining the calories needed spiritually from the Bible, that we have to give ourselves to it. But what's the prize? The prize is God himself. God gives us himself as we give ourselves to his word. You'll taste and see that God is good. Maybe like Jeremiah, your heart would would switch. That just move from, from a sense of duty to a sense of delight. And let me be really clear here. I know you look at me, you're like, David, it's your job to read the Bible. You're a pastor, like you're a professional Christian, so you have to do this stuff. Let me just say that duty and delight is a really interesting, curious thing. I would say right now, many, many years now, the vast majority of my time, is anyone hearing music? Okay, I just, I always have to check because if it's in my own head, uh, there's just other things I would need to do to talk about my own spiritual inner health and the inner songs and voices I'm hearing. Um, there's a sense that I do this out of duty. I just give myself, I say, God, you've, you've given me a book and I'm going to read it and I'm going to study it. I'm going to give myself to it. But there's a growing delight. The older I get, the more I walk with the Lord, the more it becomes this joy and delight to give myself to God's word. Isn't it true that we can only eat so much? There's a weird little uh, inverse relationship between this where physically the more food that you eat, the less you hunger for it over time, right? So you sit down to a giant meal. You're like, oh, I could eat a horse. You don't really eat a horse. You eat a nice meal. But after you get like three quarters of the way through it, uh, or let's say complete it, like you you finish it, it suddenly doesn't appeal to you to have a whole second meal like that because you're not hungry anymore. That's the way it works. Spiritually, it's interesting because the more you read spiritually, the more you give yourself uh, to, to God's word, the more you actually crave it. We can actually take in more the more we do it rather than like physical eating. Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What precedes this instruction, look at it in your Bibles, just one verse before that, is this warning. This prohibition, he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that list, and this sounds an awful lot like some of my social media feed, like some of the news feed that you just scroll along and watch all the talk shows and things. There's this whole diet that we can expose ourselves to, feed on, and it sounds an awful lot like this list. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. You know what happens is if you fill up on that, if you have a diet of that, You actually lose your taste for the pure spiritual milk of the word. You lose your taste for wanting to get into it. However, if you give yourself, as you give yourself first to God's word, you actually lose your taste for this. All of a sudden, this doesn't do it for you anymore. 
You know how much money and how many smart people have figured out what exactly they want to put in front of you so you'll keep doing this? Tons. And there's all kinds of like studies that are showing like how our brains are wired to get these little hits and keep going. I just was on Netflix last night and said, for you, David, thank you. You've, you've compiled movies for me. Sometimes they get it really, really wrong. I'm like, huh? How is that for me? You don't know me. So turn it all off. Turn to the word. Of course, let me show you. God wrote two books. We know this. Uh, Psalm 19 is a beautiful picture of this. We looked at this on our church campout, actually. But the first is creation. Um, creation is one of the books that God wrote. It's called General Revelation. It just shows that God made all this different stuff that's sitting in front of us. It takes no training or translating to read. All it takes is paying attention. You still have to give yourself to reading it. You have to pay attention. When my family and I go outside, uh, specifically this last week even, in the Tahoe National Forest, part of our time was spent reading. You know, part of how you do this, once in a while, me and Eli will go on a bike ride, we were on a bike ride, and you just set your brain in advance. You're going to go out in nature anyways, you're going to go for a hike, you're going to go for a bike ride, you're going to go for a walk, whatever. But you set your brain, you set your mind on the fact that, God, you created all of this. You hold all of this together. And the colors of fall and the sound of that bird and this incredible sweeping vista, the sheer size of the forest I'm looking at right now, you made it all. So setting our minds on it is how we read. I also went speed reading. Speed reading is when you jump on your dirt bike and you rip through trails and you catch a lot of creation all at once. So I did that as well. That's really fun. Here's an interesting part of reading that we sometimes think about. Sometimes you go, oh, I just need to see God in creation. I need to get away from it all. I'm that guy. But you know what? Part of reading God's creation, look at your neighbor right now, to your left and your right, your front and your back. Yep, there you go. God created each of us. So part of the creation that God has given us, the book to read, is seen in one another. So just reading people, being with people, really seeing people, really giving yourself to understanding where that person comes from, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, what their joys are, what their hopes were, how they can be renewed, all of that is part of what God has given to us. But the second book, of course, that I'm talking about is the Bible. And the Bible is really a library of books. One of my jobs as a father is to train my children, protect my children, prepare my children, comfort my children, and love my children really, really well. The best thing I can do In fact, I would say it this way. Nothing expands my ability to do that like teaching them to read God's word for themselves. So I model that by reading God's word. We read God's word as a family. One of the things the youth group is doing right now, we're in a a multi-week series. We're on week three, and we're just memorizing God's word. So every morning on vacation this week, we had our little cards, and there's actually only one, two, three, four of us that are sort of in the youth group doing this. But guess what? My nine-year-old daughter knows our memory verses word perfect because she quizzes us on it. And so she can now quote them back as well. So this is just me as a dad doing what I know to do by giving them God's truth. The power of it is this. When they leave my house each day, the wisdom of God goes with them. The comfort of God goes with them. Their identity that we talked about. It doesn't matter what other people say. It matters what God says about you. This is who you are. That goes with them into all the different places that I can't go with them. When they leave my house for good, all the treasures are theirs in abundance. So while your kids are young, pour this into them. You know what counts as family discipleship sitting in church each week? This is part of it. We do this in community. We do this individually. You are not alone, moms and dads. You have a church family and just showing up here week after week and bringing them to youth group and saying, hey, let me help augment all that I'm supposed to be doing by coming and doing this with a group of people called the church. As a pastor, I want to inspire you to give yourself to the Bible and get God from it. The primary purpose of Bible reading is 
not to know the Bible, but to know God, right? It's not about intellect. Some of you are like, I'm not a reader. Listen to it, right? Like we have these things in our pockets walking around like, redeem the time. Take time and begin to listen. Ingest it in ways that you know how to do it. God reveals himself in the pages of Scripture. He explains his character and his values and his plans. You'll see in the scriptures what disgusts God and what angers God. You'll learn what delights and moves him. You'll discover that God is authoring a story that you and I are written into. The whole Bible is a story. It begins in the beginning, Genesis 1.1, and it ends, Revelation 22.5, they, the servants of God, reigned forever and ever. I want to show you this short video uh, from these guys, the, the Bible Project guys. These guys spoke at a Hume Lake Pastors Conference years ago, and they've just taken off. They just have an ingenious way of sort of putting videos together, a short little video. Um, For those of us who follow Jesus, we have a book. It isn't a theology book. It isn't a rule book. This book is a story, the story of God and humanity, a story Jesus said he was fulfilling. This book contains poems, riddles, letters, puzzling narratives, and new ideas. Yet, throughout it all, this book is full of the breath of God. For those of us who follow Jesus, this book is a treasure. This book is a tree of life. This book is a page turner. Turn the page with us. Colossians 3, 1-2 says this. Just listen carefully. You can turn there if you want, but just listen carefully. According to the language here, your heart can only be captured by two things. Things above, or to use Paul's language, things that are on the earth. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You belong to Christ, Christian. The picture is marriage, right? Jesus is the groom and we, the church, are the bride committed to no one else but Jesus alone. So as one who has our heart, there's no better way to do this than to read God's books every day. And by books, I mean creation, creation, and his written word. Now, this takes devotion. This has been our theme for our community group this fall, and we're going to use this throughout the year. What did the early church, they devoted themselves to some things. What's the first thing it says they devoted themselves? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they devoted themselves to the public reading and teaching of Scripture. They did this not just at the temple once a week, but house to house. Today is a call to be a student of the Bible. Here's the beauty of walking. Wherever you left off yesterday, pick it up today. So maybe you have deep disciplines that are serving you really well. Here today is just an encouragement. Keep walking. Great. But maybe for some of you, you go, I don't really know how to do this. I want to do this. I don't know how. I'm going to end before this is over. I'm going to give you a few places to start. But the beauty is wherever you left off yesterday, continue to do it today. Walk in it. Grow in it. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a passage worth memorizing. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is a great prayer list, by the way. And just invite God into conversation. God, where do I need teaching? I may, I may need teaching in areas I know, I know nothing about yet. God will teach you through his word things that you will need a week from now. You give yourself to reading God's word every day, your mind will be blown over and over. Here's why. You will read something, and two days later or that afternoon, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor will come and ask you a question, and you have the answer on the very tip of your tongue because you just read it that morning. You thought you were just reading through your reading plan. God was preparing you to give a cup of cold water to a neighbor. 
I have read things in this week that I thought, that's nice. That seems like some good principles. I ought to remember that. And a week later, I am in the storm. I'm in the midst of it just getting hammered. And God calls to mind what I read and just sort of glanced at last week. And it becomes like a ravenous meal to me this week. And then after it's over and it subsides, I go, God, you're in charge of all of time. You knew I needed this. I'm just following a reading plan. I happen to be two days behind and you gave it me here so that it would line up here. God is at work in all of this. When we talk about the Bible, let me just break this down really quick. It's... um, it really is the most... Hold your Bible for a second. Hold your Bible or your phone. Some of you do this on your phone. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's a Bible sitting in front of you that's actually a bilingual Bible, and that just communicates the heart of our church. We have a church that has two languages celebrated here, Spanish and English, so we have bilingual Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, would you please take that Bible home as a gift? Take that Bible home, because that's a little uh, prepackaged meal that will serve you the rest of your life. Hold a, hold a Bible or a book. Here's my Bible this morning. It's actually my iPad, so I'll hold it this way. But this book is 66 books from 40 different authors from many, many walks of life, from kings who wrote the Bible to shepherds that wrote the Bible. It was written on the continents of Asia, Africa, and Europe, catch this, over a span of 1,500 years. That's the collection of books that you're reading right now. It was written in three different languages, and yet there is one cohesive theme. Think about the probability of having a collection of books gathered that were written over 1,500 years from a wide range of people in three different languages on three different continents, having any sense of cohesiveness at all. And yet the Bible does. We would think it would be a jumbled, contradictory mess, but instead we find just the opposite. Big overarching theme is a loving, reaching God on a rescue mission to sinners, bringing them back to himself through the life, death, resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's Old Testament moving up to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which tell the story of Jesus fulfilling all of this history. It's the most popular book by far. You'll never see this on a bestseller list because it's always number one. They don't even put it on there. It's also the most controversial book by far. Think about it like this. God has given us equal access to his grace through the cross and equal access to his truth through his books of creation and the word of God. The book of creation is ever present. It needs no translation. It preaches to us every night when the stars are out, every morning when the sun rises. The book of the Bible has been prepared and preserved because God is able to take care of his message to us. The Bible is a lot of things, but if I could boil it down to something really, really simple, I would say this. The Bible is a message from a friend. God wants to be friends with us, and it's a message from a friend. In becoming friends with Jesus, we break free of our captor, the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are like ex-lovers that we thought at one time were our friends, but Jesus changes all of that. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but now I call you friends. He's come into this intimate relationship to the miracle of his love. So I pray this for you, that the Bible becomes to you a precious message from a friend. As the video talked about, the Bible is more than a rule book, a manual for ethics, or a checklist for Christ. It's actually all of those and so much more. The Bible is also a mirror, a love letter, a warning sign, a morsel of chocolate. It's a call to arms. It's a check engine light. It's a comforting weighted blanket. You can truly enjoy yourself, or you can truly enjoy your Bible by giving yourself to it because you're gifted God. Let me give you some helps. These are what I uh, think might be just some helps for moving forward. Um, The first one is this, start now. There's no ideal time to uh, begin getting uh, into the Bible. Um, I've just gifted you a Bible if you don't have one or if you lost yours or your grandma gave you one but it's in a box somewhere. You don't even need to go find it. 
I just gave you a Bible. So you can start right now. You can actually stop listening to me and start reading the Bible. I'd be, I'd be great with that. The best time to start reading and applying the Bible is actually years ago, right? If you want apples today, when's the best time to have planted a tree? A long time ago. But what's the second best time if you want apples? Today! If you want apples and it's up to you, plant a seed today. That's the best time. So it is with Bible study. Right now is good. In fact, every day is New Year's Day. God's mercies are new every morning. I'm reading this great book called David Tripp. Just one devotional for every day of the year. It's called New Morning Mercies. I love that title. Don't wait for the ideal time or when you find time. Isn't it a subtle trick of our brain that we can say, I'll, I'll do it when I find time. You don't really ever find time. <laughs> time. Time goes away. You take time. You make time. You carve out time. You steer it. Here's maybe one of the best things I can tell you in terms of starting now. Um, there's no habit that will ever form in your life without consistency. I would encourage you to start a little ritual. You know, you can take any place and sort of make it holy ground. It might be a balcony. It might be a basement. It might be a favorite chair in your house. It might be, uh, uh, it might be on, a, on a bus or a train if you're commuting somewhere. You can take a spot and say, this is my ritual. I will sit here. I will come here. I am coming to meet with God in this place. And you can take that spot and make it consistently a time for Bible study. I actually resisted this at first. I'm a, I'm a spontaneous person. I like variety. I like mixing it up. But let me just tell you this works. Having a specific time and place where you say, I'm going to sit down and read my Bible at this time and place really, really works. All kinds of studies find that time and place form pathways in your brain that help form habit. Here's the second thing. Almost always, personally and as a family and even as a church, we pray before reading the Bible. We pray before reading the Bible uh, because uh, it's spiritually discerned, right? So we're inviting and we're asking God, God, help us to understand what we're reading. Just give us what we need out of this today. Sometimes that will be readily apparent. Sometimes it won't. One of the prayers that I do sometimes is just to sit and remind myself, God, I'm your beloved child. I am reading the Bible today so I can be like a child mimicking his dad. That's a really great place to start. I just want to be near you. I want to hear from you. I want to sit at your feet and kind of just see what's on your mind. So bring it to my mind. That's what we're doing here. Amen. Just begin to pray. Maybe you would pray something like this, God, you are with me in this, so help me, please. I know this is your will for me today, to take a bite of your word, to eat it. Would you make it a delight to me? I don't really know how to do this. Help me. And he will. Maybe the prayer is simply, show me, open my eyes to you, close my heart to evil. Help me do what I learn. That's a great prayer. God, whatever I'm about to read, I'm already submitted to it. Submit yourselves under the, 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 the word before you even read it. God, whatever I find in here, I'm already pre-submitted to you, knowing that you have the last word and the first word in my life. You know what you can also bring is this. You can bring this prayer. God, I feel bored with reading the Bible today. I don't want to, but I just do. This feels boring to me. I'd rather be out doing something else. Would you help me? You could come and say, God, I feel stuck. I'm in this ritual. I've formed this thing. I've been doing this for a while. I just feel sort of stuck and dry. Would you help me with that? And he will. God, I'm filled with doubt today. I, I don't know that this is doing anything. I don't know if it's working for me. Would you just meet me in that? And he will. The Spirit will lead you in those places. God, I'm confused. All kinds of prayers. Here's number three. Celebrate what works for you. Maybe you're just starting out or maybe you're stuck. Read for the pure joy of conversing with God. There's no magic, by the way, in reading a chapter a day. The, the address in the Bible, the chapters and verses, that came hundreds of years after the scriptures were written. That'd be like me writing a letter and someone you know, breaking it up with numbers. It doesn't have to be a number. You could read a verse. You could just linger on a verse today. Before the sun goes down, you say, I just want to converse with God. Psalm 119 is an amazing place to start. Lock in two 19s in your brain. There's Psalm 19, which I've already referenced. 
First part talks about the book of creation. Second part extols the amazing joys of the written word of God. And then there's Psalm 119. It is the longest chapter in your Bible. It sits right in the very middle. And that song is written in such a way that it's using one letter of the entire Hebrew alphabet. And the starting stanza starts with that letter. And what I love about that is I look at that, I go, man, just, and the whole, the whole chapter is about God's word. And I just think to myself, man, you can go A to Z and not get to the end of extolling the praises of God's word. It's all right there. So take one stanza tomorrow morning and just read it and meditate on it and think about it and say, God, would you make this true in my life or show me how this is true in my life? Number four is this, and band, why don't you guys come on up? Remember to evaluate. Just ask how it's going. Remember, this is a relationship. So say, God, am I doing this wrong? I feel like, uh, you know, I feel like there's something more. So you can ask the Lord about that. You can ask your community group. You can ask other people uh, who are further down the road from you. One of the things I love to do uh, with actually a couple people on stage here is go golfing. And when you golf and you hit a bad shot, you should stop and evaluate. What did I just do that made that go wrong? And there's all kinds of clues that will tell you. If you, if you see a giant dirt divot, here's the ball, and there's a giant dirt divot back here, it means you're hitting behind the ball. If your ball dribbles along the front, it means you hit just the top of it and kind of nicked it. If you're spraying the ball like this, it means your club face is open or your swing path is up. Evaluate! So as you're in a spiritual rhythm, you say, God, I'm trying to grow. I'm trying to follow you to spiritual health. Evaluate what you are doing, not just for being in the faith, but for growing up in the faith. Sitting right in front of you uh, is something that you can do every single week. Um, and that is by coming to church, by opening God's word, and by following community questions, you have a built-in Bible study at all times for you. What I would say, though, is that's like beginner step one, level one. There's different apps out there. One of our favorites as a family is one called He Reads Truth, She Reads Truth. Part of why we love this little devotional or Bible study thing is it's just compiling scripture and putting it in front of your face. And their goal is explicitly stated, putting men in the word every day, putting women in the word every single day. There's Bible reading programs galore. I'm partial to YouVersion Bible app. Come and talk to me. Come and talk to your community group leader. We'll help get you started. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can sing your word. We can memorize your word. God, we can see it uh, written around our house. God, we can give ourselves just by reading straight through a letter in the New Testament in one sitting. God, we can give ourselves to it by going deep in study and really getting our heads around a specific book of the Bible. And Lord, you work through that. You're leading us through that. You're changing our diet, God. And what we see is the fruit of the Spirit that comes from feasting and feeding on you. Lord, would you continue or restore the joy, the delight of feeding on your word so we can get to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.